one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello and welcome to your book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. Now, I know I'm very shy, and I don't mention this often at all. My first novel, Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls, is out this week. Thank you all so, so much. You're all in the acknowledgements. I said it there, and I'll say it here. There are no writers without readers like you, listeners. I really feel as though we've all been in this together, so I wanted you to be the very first people to meet Violet. Listen out for a little sneak preview, especially for you in the middle of the podcast. Now, today, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to bring you a conversation with my favourite author, Marion Keyes. Keyes has millions of fans, and I know that every single one of us has felt, while reading her, as though she is speaking directly to us and us alone. Her writing is beautiful, warm and wise, but she has a magical way of taking the profane and making it sacred. Her novel, Rachel's Holiday, is the book I've turned to the most often on dark days. I think it probably saved my life. I make no apologies for gushing. Fellow fans, I hope I've done you and her justice. Also, prepare for a stonking book list. 2020 has been an interesting year. Do you feel like your reading habits have changed at all? Have you reached for a different kind of book or had a different reading routine? Yes, my relationship with books has changed in that like my concentration isn't what it would normally be. Um, And things I've noticed, I find it much, much harder to read on a Kindle. I can almost not do it uh, these days. And um, I get bored a lot faster. And um, it's just, I'm finding it, both harder to disappear into books and also I am far more needy for books um and I think it's because I mean I'm sure lots of people have heard that our ability to imagine has been impacted by the huge fear that we're all feeling you know whenever human beings are frightened uh, we have to shut down the dreaming part of ourselves because we need to kind of focus all our energy on keeping ourselves safe. Um, you know, we're sort of scanning the horizon for predators. And people who write have said it's much, much harder to write, or it has been this year. Um, and also that people have talked about how their dreams are incredibly vivid. And that's because like we're not daydreaming. You know, we're not letting our escape ourselves escape during the daytime. So we're doing it instead 
at night time. And it's the same with books. Like I am desperate to shut down the anxiety, but also that ability to access the part of me where, you know, I'm away from the real world. It's much, much harder to get there. So yeah, it's been a tricky year with regards to reading. And so what has helped? Are there any books that have delivered you from the outside world into a daydreaming space? Yeah, some. Two years, nearly two years ago, my dad died. And the, one of the things that happened kind of very quickly afterwards was I started reading Mills and Boons. Um, and I used to read them when I, like a thousand million years ago when I was uh, studying law. Like every Saturday I used to go to bed and I used to read three Mills and Boons that my mother had got from the library. And like, I mean, I read them and I was like, kind of extravagantly scornful about them. Like, I mean, I spent so much of my time just making fun of them. But now I, I wanted the escape of them. And since I used to read them back then and now, they've started having sex, which is fabulous. You know, so there's all this kind of delicious, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's un-PC sex. I mean, there, there, there's no kind of uh, roughness or anything like that. But it's just, it is pure escape and like I love the formulaic quality of it all like you know I started off and I know he's going to be horrible and he's going to misunderstand her and 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 he, he you know he he doesn't realize what a lovely person she is and the next thing they're riding rings around each other and it's just it's it's a really 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 lovely safe space and also this year I discovered Eva Ibbotson yes which, oh my god almighty I can't believe that I I managed without her I mean, she is perfect for me. I mean, she is just, she is my ideal kind of writer. She just creates such a beautiful world where like people are nice, but nobody is sappy. You know, and it's a very difficult act to pull off to make likable characters that aren't irritating or boring. Um, so that has been one of the nicest things that have happened this year uh, in terms of reading. And I'm eking them out. But actually, I almost never reread books. And, and I have already reread The Secret Countess. Um, the Secret Countess, that's the only one I've read, but that was my, um, that was my gateway drug. And it's just yes. the consistency of the universe. Yes, yes. The fact that there's this book written where like almost everyone in it is kind and it doesn't become irritating or too sweet. It, it's a miracle thing. I mean, and like, I'd love to know more about her. Like her, the first of her books wasn't published until 1993 and she was born sometime in, in, in the thirties. You know, what a life she had and was she writing during all that time? Like, I'd love to know more about her. Oh, me too. Because I only know that she was, you know, in the war. And that, yeah, you know, is very present in her stories. But, I mean, that's such a skill as well in The Secret Countess, that looming threat. She's never afraid to address it. But also, it's managed in a very kind of sane way. And that feels really right for now, I think, that we're all... Yeah scared and she's not afraid to look the fear in the face and call it what it is but also 
she said, look, there is, there is joy and love and kindness and diamonds everywhere. And um, I think the bull in The Secret Countess, it's so contrived in terms of how she is found out, but it's so delicious and so perfect. And you're, it's just like a very, a very pleasing slotting in of things. Yes. I mean, you're right in that, like, a lot of the plot points are contrived. And, like, we never doubted that there would be a happy ending. Like, of course there was going to be. But yet I didn't feel bored or offended. You know, I didn't feel like my intelligence was being insulted. Like she created a contract with her readers. You know, we knew what she was giving us and and we were fully on board with it. And it was just beyond lovely. And anyone, I mean, I, I have given that book to kind of everyone I'm related to, like most people I've ever met. And everyone has loved it. And we've all gone, how did we not know until now? In your own novels, do you feel an obligation to surprise? I don't do unhappy endings. And I won't. And I feel apologetic for that in a way because I feel like it very much limits me as a writer. And at the same time, I like what I write. And, you know, there was a really nice review of my most recent book, Grown Ups, um, in the Irish Times uh, this year. And it said, that thing that I said about Eva Ibbotson, that I, I have, an, you know, an invisible contract with my readers. And basically, that you know what you're getting when, when you start reading one of mine. And it's, it's not just a happy ending. I mean, there are various other tropes that, that crop up as well. Like she did say riding men's, which I thought was, was funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the idea of a happy ending or, you know, people, people being with the person they're meant to be with. I think I'm always going to do that. I would just find it really painful to not do it. I mean, obviously, I'm a complete romantic and a total sap. And as I say, I have these limitations because in real life i think i would like everybody to be everyone who wants to be coupled up should be coupled up and i feel very kind of edgy in a world where that hasn't actually happened you know it's obviously something that was programmed in me very very young and i can't get rid of it and it it's part of me and as i say it limits me but it also means that whoever reads me will know that well actually mm, people aren't going to be alone at the end of the book i like at this stage that that people know it's what I do because because then it means people can't be cross and say oh for god's sake must they always end up with the blah blah and I would go yes they must always end up with the blah blah that that is what I do that is who I am you know and 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 I'm sorry if it's offended you and maybe you should read somebody else and, and I say that with love you know but yeah it is kind of a relief to know that that's what I can do absolutely as a comfort read I just reread the break and I think that what it is about that book that I love so much is the home that Amy has created and it's like the duvet cover that she makes for Sophie and it's so fragmented but so beautiful and such a unit and even without Hugh and it's so devastating that Hugh isn't there it's a space that you want to spend time in and even the office and Hatch and the mad burst there I think they're great but you know that final scene and you know to no spoilers to have that ending that is genuinely joyous and hopeful and feels as much like a new beginning as an ending and is truly uplifting but it's you know really emotionally intelligent and complex thank you Daisy thank you so much I mean the break was a realistic depiction of a marriage 
in that like marriages are not all skippiness and you know and rabbits and 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 flowers like marriages are relationships like any other relationship in that you know there can be long spells of boringness or or irritation or disconnection you know i wanted to be realistic about what a marriage actually is and thank you for saying that and you know i have always felt that I had completely the wrong idea about what marriage was supposed to be, you know, when I was in my 20s. I just thought a marriage would fix me. And, you know, I've learned that nothing fixes me and especially not a relationship with another person that in many ways, it, it, you know, that can trigger my flaws or, you know, give me insights into the worst parts of myself. So in writing the break about, about two people who are connected and and they do want to be together, but they also want other things. You know, I think when people do decide to come back together or to stay together, that that is worthy of celebration. Um, you know, and I will also say that if people decide not to, you know, that is their truth. And, you know, so long as a person is working and living from their truth, that, that's what's important. But I do love the idea of, of people saying, I've tried other things, you know, um, I've been out there and bits of it were nice. And, and there are parts of you that I really find difficult. But overall, I, I want to keep trying with you. I, yeah, I like the idea that people don't just give up immediately, you know, and I never thought I would be that person, but I, you know, I've turned it to my mother, you know, who used to say, people give up too easily, you know, people, people get divorced and they, you know, they meet somebody else. And I do think, you know, the beginning of a relationship when like you're insane, you know, when you're in love and you can't eat and like you're skipping around it, like everything is joyous and delicious. Like that feeling is incredibly attractive. And, and I, you know, when that wears off, people think, oh, it's the other person's fault. You know, I thought they were perfect and I thought they were the one. Instead, they should just think, oh, I see that was the start of relationship you know, narcotics, and and now it's time to adjust to real life. But instead, lots of people go off and they look for the narcotic effect with other people, and you never get to that place where, like, where you're two human beings being honest and 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 kind of working in companionable tandem to make a good life. And like, for me now, that's what I get from from being married and being in a relationship for a long time. It's that lovely thing. If he's seen me at my best, he's seen me at my worst. I can be who I really am. I don't have to pretend and he's not going to leg it. Like I value that so much. Whereas back in the day, it was the narcotic instant early day stuff that I loved. So yeah, I, I, I'm going a long way around saying that I think writing about long-term relationships is something that if it's done well, can be uplifting and very romantic and very loving. Oh, I feel quite overwhelmed in a really lovely way. Um, I know we've talked about Mills and Boone. What were the other, the love stories that you remember first encountering and being really drawn to or struck by? You see, I had a very weird upbringing in terms of books. Like, I discovered Enid Blyton's when I was about six and I just, I fell in love. I mean, I've often said like reading was my first addiction. Like it was my first wonderful way to escape reality. And 
but my parents weren't bookie types. And like, I don't, I'd, maybe it was just the house I was brought up in, but there weren't books. But then when I was about 12, my dad joined, I think it was the Reader's Digest book club. So like all these kind of disparate books used to come into the house and I'd read them all. Um, and I think maybe the first love story that I remember was Gone with the Wind. I mean, I loved it all. Like it wasn't just the love story, it was her. I loved Scarlett O'Hara and, and her, you know, her brutal sense of self-preservation. But then I was reading other things like In Cold Blood came the following month, you know, and Catch 22 the following month. So like I was reading all these books and I didn't, I had no ability to, to, to decide what was good and what wasn't or what I liked and what I didn't. Then I became a teenager and then we were all into that kind of horrendously pretentious re reading George Orwell and, and James Joyce and, and uh, yeah, and I tried reading... Um, what's his name, Tolstoy, because I thought, I thought it sounded, sounded impressive. And it was agony trying to get into it. And I, I didn't understand for a long time that like reading is meant to be about pleasure, the way it had been when I was a child. So apart from the Mills and Boons, the first things that really, really made me happy were, you know, the Jilly Cooper books, yes. the um, Octavia and Millie and Oh my God, I loved them so much because like, they had the same, I suppose, structure as a Mills and Boone, but they were modern. You know, they were about women like, well, they were older than me, but they were women that I could identify with. And it's funny, like we did a Jane Austen book at school. I think it was Persuasion. And it killed any potential love for me, for Jane Austen. Like I am, it's awful. I am the only person in the world who doesn't love Jane Austen. And I know that people will be going, <gasps> But like, school just killed it. Persuasion I, is the wrong one. If you know, is the it? first one you read, it doesn't. Yeah. it's not going to land when you're teenager in the the nineties or the eighties. No, it was the seventies, Daisy. That's how old I am. I left school in nineteen eighty. Jesus Christ! That was when those amazing the Dilly romances. I mean, they were so funny. Did you read the uh, the Rutger Chronicles? Her. Huh? The bunk busters. Oh my god, completely. Oh, I loved them so much. I did a good run of them. What was it? Riders, rivals, uh, the man who made husbands jealous. Oh, what were the other ones? Oh, Polo um, came in there somewhere. Polo! Yes, 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 yes. Oh my god. Oh yeah, and like around then, like I used to read all of those kind of um, you know, lace yes. and you know, Judith Kranz books. Oh my God, they were wonderful. Like they were absolutely bloody fantastic. And it's funny now, lately I have been craving something similar, but contemporary. You know, I want, I want books about glamour and rich people and fabulous clothes and, you know, private planes and private chefs. I suppose maybe because life has been so unglamorous lately and and I suppose also incredibly grim and frightening, you know, with both the pandemic and and I mean, I know Trump has gone hooray and everything, but like the world has been like that, you know, when the, the matches go out for the little match girl, that's how it's felt for a long time. Oh, God, and, Marian, that's bleak and so accurate. Oh, yeah. And I just want sparkle and I want I want people saying 
let's go to Marrakesh right now and like going out and chartering a plane. Like I want all of that. I want platform shoes and I want drug taking and I want fabulous, you know, frocks and I want like, and I want to read about it. I want people like having sex with loads of people. And I, you know, I would love a Judith Krantz, but now if anyone wants to write it, I will, I will oh, buy it. That would be just the greatest, would greatest. Would be great. Because I do, I long for a good book party and I'm much better at book parties where I can pretend I'm there than the real life sort. But um, oh yeah, just, you know, where the sort of the champagne never runs out and there's gossip and scandal and you feel yes. like Charlize Theron could be there in a big gold frock. Yes. And nobody behaves badly and nobody like nobody well i mean people behave badly but in in an elegant charming way and everybody is in on it so nobody minds yeah that would be great a writer called fiona walker who is my dilly method oh yeah yeah and yeah. her early books is that like i just want to it's like it's like me reading like fantasy or sci-fi but my sort of fantasy era is i just want to go and like live in 1998 and pretend i'm at a party in the met bar god yes it's funny, I've been thinking a lot about the 90s lately. Um, they really were wonderful, weren't they? You know, there was no sense of impending doom, really. Um, and there seemed to be nothing really to worry about in terms of politics. I mean, I'm probably entirely wrong, but compared to now, it just feels, oh my God, if I could travel back like 27 years, less even, you know, it would be just... People seemed to be able to enjoy themselves without consequences. That would be nice. It'd be nice. And it's something that, um, I mean, something that comes up a lot on this podcast is I, I love, I really love a good boozy book. And as, you know, I get older and my tolerance for any kind of drinking, you know, diminishes and I sort of, I have two glasses of wine and then I can't do anything the next day. But I love, and Jilly does this so well and lots of writers do, but those like drunken lunches and everyone's oh. like, oh, someone's at the door. Have some whiskey, have a vodka and tonic. Yes. I mean, wouldn't you love to be that person who arrived at the door and you, you think, well, I meant to go back to work this afternoon. But what the hell? Go on, pour us a drink. I'll make a call. It'll all be all right. Or, or even better, I won't make a call because people didn't have mobile phones then. So if you didn't come back, they couldn't get you. Like, yeah, it was just far more debauched and free. I love how um, supportive you are of um, new books, new writers on Twitter. I've been a very, very lucky recipient of that. Oh, um, no, I but... love your book. Oh, my God, I love it so much. Honest to God, it was so refreshing. You know, I mean, it was great fun and lots of things. And I really, I mean, and you write so well. Honestly, I was so jealous. There were so many phrases that I just, you know, my heart would clench just with, with admiration, but also kind of a, you know that awful shame when you see somebody else do something fabulous and you think, oh, if only I had worked harder, I might have been able to do that too. No, it, it was so nice, but it was so lovely to read about a young woman having shame-free sex. Well, I didn't bring it up to get you to oh, say okay, that, but sorry. thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm a blush, but other Books that you have, um, new proofs, things that have come out recently or coming out that you've discovered on the internet that have really stayed in your head. Oh my God, Luster. Yes. Um, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's amazing, but incredibly powerfully affecting. You know, it made me 
not that I didn't know it anyway, but it made me realize how incredibly life, how hard life is for young women and particularly young black women. It's a kind of a deliciously angry, vicious, sad, powerful, affecting book. Um, that, that really stayed with me. Now, I'm terribly excited because today the new proof for uh, Catherine Heine's new book was uh, announced on Twitter. I knew you were going to say uh, that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I saw you looking for it as well. I mean, standard deviation is just, it's just, it's one of those books like that creates this, her tone is very wry. She's kind of like a less bitter Maria Semple. I mean, I find her lighter and more likable like is an invidious word to use about women, but standard deviation. I, I went out and I bought her short stories afterwards because I loved it so much. So I'm really excited about the new novel. There's just such a kind of a knowingness in how she processes the world and, and, and gives it back to us. Um, it's very funny, so funny about rich people in New York, or not even rich people, but people who are on that margin, who are kind of almost bankrupt at sending their kids to private school, um, and doing their level best to kind of keep up with all the, the people living in the apartments around them. Um, and it's just very, very funny. She's very good on relationships. Did you read Fleischman is in Trouble? I did. I did. I did. Now, I found, I mean, I thought it was absolutely amazing. But the first half of it, I didn't realise what was going on. I mean, I thought we were just listening to this whiny sub Philip Roth bloke, um, you know, telling us about his terrible wife and, and then being really kind of Philip Rothy about, about the sex he was having. But the second half of the book, then it all made sense. And I mean, it was so, I mean, it was such an angry book um, and, and such a, a feminist book. Um, do you know a writer called Eleanor Lippmann? Oh, my God. Yes, I, I love her books. I have two on the floor here beside me. Hang on, I'm going to switch my thing around and show you um, my, my, my to-be-read pile. I'm going to have to move me tights and me knickers. Um, <laughs> can you see it there? I see, I, do, I see Glennon Doyle and Elton John. Hang on, but I think I have two Eleanor Lippmans here, unless I've moved them over to my other shelf. But yes, I do have two Eleanor Lippmans waiting to be read. Um, uh, yes, I love her. And I just discovered her this year, and I read Good Riddance and On Turpentine, on Turpentine Lane? Or just Turpentine Lane? There's one where she's buying a house. Um, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, they're so funny. There's a writer called Laurie Graham, who... To me, yes, you yes. found her? I, yes. I found her books when I was a teenager and I think my dad was a fan and I just picked it up on the shelf and it's, I can't, yeah. it's called The Five O'Clock Horses and there's quite a lot of sex in it and the man was having an affair and I was, you know, young enough to be like, hey, look what we've got here, but <laughs> she's so funny. Yeah, but those kind of voices are exactly, that is my favourite kind of book. You know, people who are comic, but also carrying pain and also carrying wisdom that's what i like yeah i like i like reading about relationships i like reading about sex and i like reading about money especially at the moment just because i'm craving the glamour oh me too and i'm having a, another comfort read i'm not really stretching myself I'm ha i like to read rivals at christmas that was the second one wasn't it yeah so. and it was very 80s it was all about yeah 
you know, ball breaker ladies in high heels and stilettos and and insisting on like eight orgasms ago. And <laughs> yeah, it was just fantastic. I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, I read the Glenn and Doyle book last night simply because I was curious and um, I thought I would hate it. And I didn't. There is some genuine wisdom in there for sure. It's just I find it, the way Americans package their wisdom can be quite chilly, I think, for people on this side of the Atlantic. I find the gurus don't always be as warm as I would, as I would like. But actually, it was interesting and, and comforting at times. And actually, there was a bit that was really, really funny. Um, she was writing about how she found out that her husband was cheating on her. And uh, she was just uh, about to start a book tour a book tour which was about the book she had written where um she'd you know embraced sobriety she'd given up bulimia and she'd given up alcohol and she had found you know a new fulfilling life in her marriage with her son um being sober and she was so angry with her husband not for sleeping with other people but for fucking up her narrative you know because this was her shtick you know this was like a, i have you know, found happiness with this man and this child and, and, you know, I am not the woman that was out there drinking and, and, and being promiscuous. And it was just very, very, very funny, um, which was unexpected. And I, I liked her a lot because of it. Do you know Anne Lamott? Anne Lamott, oh my God, I love her. I think she's great and I think she's so funny. She's hilarious. Bird by Bird is one of my most favourite books of my entire life. Yeah, I love her because I love her vulnerability. I love her wisdom. And yeah, and I love her humour. Like anybody who can be wise and funny at the same time can have my money. Um, yeah, I love her and I love her writing advice. Actually, Jesus, I must read Bird by Bird again. I haven't read it in a while. Yes, I love her. Um, I've read a couple of her novels. I prefer her nonfiction. I prefer when she's just talking to me and telling me how to live my life, telling me what to do. You don't want that sort of any, any story or anything getting in the way. And I've not read her novels and I really want to, but I also have that sense of I just kind of want her. And I, read, I think yeah. almost everything is another book that I loved and her this year especially looking for tiny tiny affirming things and scraps of good in the bad and single and in someone else's hands that could just be awful but she makes it really yeah. beautiful and great yeah yeah because she's not I suppose she's not twee she's not preachy mm. yeah and and like she, it's coming from from lived experience you know she she has been there 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We'll be back to Marion shortly. This week, instead of the steal of the week, I would like to share an audio clip for Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls, read by Charlie Clive. I don't want to be at this party. Quite honestly, I suspect the party does not want me either. I am about six miles from my flat and 60 million miles outside my comfort zone. For every guest, there seems to be three waiters carrying pyramid-stacked platters of lobster rolls. No one is acknowledging the waiters, let alone saying, no thank you. This is not my world. This is very much my boss's natural habitat, but unusually, the invitation wasn't addressed to her. It's my job to open all the nobody's post. And the Susan Miller app had mentioned something about bravely seizing opportunities instead of expecting them to arrive and being rewarded by courageously forging new connections with influential VIPs. Anyway, it wasn't as though Connie was there to ask. Something to do with it being simply impossible to remortgage when you're in the middle of a basement conversion which is her justification for coming into the office four times in three weeks. In order to get Connie to listen to anything, you have to ad-lib random bits of property and interiors information. For example, Rich from Sotheby's rang, can you call him back? And then I'll tell you about the Jonathan Adler cushions I saw in TK Maxx on Kensington High Street. So here I am, bravely not talking to anyone courageously staring at the ceiling, pretending to be fascinated by a disco ball that is shaped like a Rubik's Cube. I'm waiting for a reply from Handsome Dan, 32, who is, according to his Bumble bio, not here for a good time, here for a long time. Semi-stealing the invite was a transparent attempt to impress him. I thought, do you fancy this gallery opening? There's a free bar. Sounded more appealing than... Do you want to come and have sex with me in my shabby ex-council flat? According to the internet, Dan works in publishing. Dan vaguely knows someone I was at university with, and Dan is capable of composing the kind of brief, concise, erudite filth that would leave me, against my better judgment, wanking at work, feet up against the cubicle door of the disabled loo, thumb on my clit, index finger working its way into the slipperiest part of myself until I'd come, shuddering and gasping silently. I've cried in that toilet. I've eaten supermarket sushi in that toilet. Now, thanks to Dan, I've achieved more satisfaction in that toilet than I've known in any other area of the workplace. My exciting new single life has not quite been the thrilling, giddy, zipless fuckfest I was hoping for. My best friend Nadia says that Tinder should change their advertising slogan to The odds are good, but the goods are odd. 
Oh, ex-best friend, I guess. For half a second I remember all over again and feel as though I've dropped my heart down a well. Still, I'm yet to meet someone who proves her wrong. Insatiable is available on Audible and signed copies of the book are available from Waterstones, Blackwells, Foils and the Seven Oaks Bookshop. You can also buy it from bookshop.org and Amazon. Now, back to Marion. I've just had a thought. If you want sex and glamour and parties, do you know Eve Babbitts? No. Oh boy. She is still with us, but in the 70s. So did you read Daisy Jones and the Six? Yes, I did. Well, she's sort of real life Daisy Jones. Um, Really? We, to do a big clangy name drop, we had Taylor Jenkins read on the podcast. He said, oh no, Daisy Jones would have hated Eve Babbitts. They wouldn't have got on. But she was that kind of proper like Laurel Canyon-y, but sort of a bit more, very loose. She writes that in her novels are very, she kind of just writes the same book over and over again, but it's such a pleasure to read it. Yes, that's all you want. Sometimes that's really nice, isn't it? I'm looking here, I have Slow Days, Fast Company. That is a name. That is brilliant. Sex and Rage, LA Woman, Black Swans, I Used to Be Charming. Yes, write them. Would you would you recommend a particular one for Ooh. me to start? No, I think Eve's Hollywood. It's the first yes, one Eve's that I Hollywood. read, and that's the most okay. sort of the, the essence of her. One of the odd things I love about Eve that you're probably not supposed to love is she's just like the sexiest, glamorous, wittiest, coolest woman who ever was, but she's still a bit preoccupied with like, you know being fat and getting fat and how much the alcohol is playing a part in that or whether or not she feels hot enough to go out or not isn't it horrific isn't it just horrific what has been done to us you know we're given such an incredibly punishing template to uh to fit ourselves inside it's horrific that even somebody like her would feel it it's awful now will we talk about barbara torpedo yes oh <laughs> it's so weird we just today um recorded an episode with um ella risbridger who is excellent oh, and yes. we started with her um the the two writers she wanted to talk about the most were eva ibbotson and barbara torpedo go on oh my god that's really weird now, there's a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, I love those books so much. And it's so funny. I, I identify with nothing. They they are, the women in those books, the girls in those books are absolutely nothing like me. Like, I can't imagine being in my early 20s and wanting to go to classical music concerts. I, I just, it is beyond me. And yet the books are so charming. And the way they think, their feelings, I suppose, are similar to mine, even though their worlds and their intellectual pursuits are so different. Yeah, they're absolutely gorgeous. Which is the first that you read? It was the one where the sister has died. Oh my God, it was the saddest, saddest, saddest thing. Um, the travelling horn player? Yes, 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 yeah. My little niece, who's three and a bit, um, who can't read or anything, went through my shelves the other day and went off with it. And I thought, I thought that was interesting, mm. you know, because there's lots of things over there. And that's the one she picked. She kind of homed in on Barbara Torpedo and the traveling horn player was the one. Yeah, I just, I found it so incredibly moving. I think that a lot of her characters are sort of liberated. They get to be, you know, women in a straight world who can really shake things up. Yeah, that they have a kind of a, an unusual confidence. For me, reading Barbara Torpedo is like entering an entirely different world. And it is, it's lovely. I mean, I would really, I'd recommend everyone 
I'll read Brother the More Famous Jack and see and see if it takes. Um, because that's the lovely thing. If you read it and you like it, there are so many more afterwards. I feel as though everyone who's read it must have a occasional fantasy about being adopted by the Goldmans, no matter how lovely yes. your family are. My friend Lauren Bravo, the writer, said that what she loves so much yes. about Brother of the More Famous Jack is it made having a grubby kitchen seem quite aspirational and cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that like a, a clean kitchen is just a kind of very bourgeois, narrow kind of way of thinking. Yeah. Have you read Fabulous Nobodies? Yes. This is just a Mentionitis podcast, but I believe Sarah Manning gave that to me as a gift. Is that the one where they're trying to start up various club nights and things and they're in New yes. York and they're just always getting dressed up? Yeah, it's in New York, set in New York, I think in 1982. It's one of my most favourite books of all time. Yeah, it's about this young woman who's a door whore in one of these clubs in New York. And uh, and it's about it's about fashion. It's about being young. Um it's about being young and having no money and and living in this incredibly crappy apartment. And it's it's just very sweet, very lovable, very aspirational. Like I said earlier on, like I almost never reread books, but I reread that several times. It just in the way it makes me feel, it's it's just very happy and and young and hopeful. And yeah, like she's got everything ahead of her. And and she isn't old enough to, to worry I suppose about things it's lovely I'm trying to think because I can sort of imagine my copy and I'm like where is it I need to look for it did you read that when it came out or did you find it later no I it was around the time it came out like it was sometime in the 80s um you see for a long time I would never spend money on books like anything I read was because somebody else gave it to me or you know I got it in a in a uh the church sale or something like that um so it was all very hit and miss i didn't start actually buying books from bookshops until until probably around when i got published so like my my reading education has been so kind of scattergun but i had a boss for a long time who who had really good taste like you know she used to give me nora efron and barbara vine you know, could you imagine having a life without Barbara Vine? Did you love her? I, I, I'm not, I'm not picking up loving signals from you. No, I'm trying to. I feel like I maybe tried the wrong book when I was a little bit too young, maybe. And does she? She's not Ruth Rendell, is she? She is. She is. She is. Ruth yeah. Rendell, because that was it. Because I think it was one of those sort of my mum saying, "You'll like this," and me being a sulky teen or preteen oh, yeah. track with it. but I must I, I must go back to Barbara Vine sell her to me not that she needs selling that's insulting to Barbara Vine oh no but like if you didn't like it you didn't like it or if you're at the wrong age or, or if you're feeling defiant and wanted to show your mother that you were actually your own person sure that's fair enough but they were just they're they're kind of weird because it's like they're almost out of time you know they are very much not anchored in the real world and often people are living in houses away from other people you know like there'd be a load of young people living there and it's not entirely realistic except the way people relate to each other and there, there's a, always a kind of a, a dreamy atmosphere and and there are twists that honest to god you never ever saw coming um i would recommend her so highly and i tried reading ruth rendell books as well but they didn't take with me at all whereas the barbara vine ones completely did if you've read 
the town of French books um, in the woods and the likeness, they have that same feel for me as, as Barbara Vine. Um, I love Town of French. I love Town of French's books. That is so weird because um, Ella said that exact sentence a few hours ago. Mother of Jesus, what's going on? <laughs> There's a tear in the universe. And, and the yeah, laptop's on a lane. But I love it. It's really, really lovely. It's very yeah. sort of, it's, a, I must go and um, and read these books now. Um, oh, gee. And can I recommend another wonderful, um, I suppose they call them crime writers, but like uh, um, Jane Harper, she's an Australian writer. She wrote The Dry and she's she's written four now. They are utter magnificence you know they should be winning prizes like they absolutely transcend genre i think the way the town of french does um i honestly think you'll love them because it's all about close relationships and you know friendships and friendships from like teenage years that kind of go sour or went sour it's they are just they're both such wonderful wonderful writers and tana french's new book the searcher it's just I love it so enormously much. Um, that's been one of my books of the year, oh, I'd say. I can't wait to get into this. But it just goes to show that like people can can have really similar tastes. And then and then and then you can both read a book and it can absolutely affect you in really divergent ways. And I think that so much of it as well, whether it's like Barbara Vine and just, you know, when when you read something. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, absolutely. And I really feel unless a person feels that the author has been deliberately lazy or deliberately meretricious, that to criticise a book, it shouldn't really be done. I mean, I say this as a reader, not as a writer, because obviously, you know, books do get criticised. But I think it's always such a subjective experience, you know, the relationship between a book and a reader it's it's unique and because human beings are so incredibly complex and we don't even really know what we're responding with when we when we fall in love with the book or when we find it you know absolutely repellent i think you know to say i hated this book and you know to say it publicly i just think just because i say i didn't like a book i would always like to say just because i didn't like it doesn't mean that it actually means anything, you know, in in an objective way. Like it absolutely doesn't. I don't think there can be a kind of a widespread consensus that a book is rubbish. I think it's because... a little bit like a holiday, isn't it? And there are <laughs> infinite holidays and infinite ways to have that experience. And yes, you know, yes. you can be you might hate museums, you might hate the water park, but someone out there will will love them. If I've loved something, I want the writer to know. If I haven't, that is none of the writer's business. Thank you. That's, that is exactly how I think about it. You know, I, I agree with absolutely everything you've said. And like, there's enough meanness out there. Why add a little bit more into public discourse? And I think it's, it's a very generous act, as you know, as you've outlined, to just not tell them, you know? Just don't, don't let a person know that the thing they created displeased you. I've just thought of another book that I really, really loved and that I've reread a couple of times. It's called The Madonnas of Leningrad. And it's by a, I think she's American, an American writer called Deborah Dean. And it's a, it's set in the siege, during the siege of Leningrad. Um, 
in, I think it was the Hermitage Museum. And the people of Leningrad are starving. And the pictures in the museum have all been taken away for safety because they're afraid that the, that the Nazis, when they arrive, will, 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 will take them, steal them. And it's about two people, a young man and woman, and they fall in love. And, and there's almost nothing to eat and there are no beautiful pictures to look at. But they stand in the, in the art gallery and they look at the places on the wall where the pictures were. And they talk about them as if they were really there. And it's just, honest to God, incredibly beautiful. And it's about how people survive in extremis, you know, and how you can still find beauty by remembering it, um, even when it's not there in front of you. And I'm making it sound worthy, and it's not worthy. It's just honestly beautiful. And I would, that would be one of the books I'd recommend very much. What a premise. And what yeah. a resonant idea for now that we need to... You know, we can yeah. see this beauty and we can imagine the experience of it. Yes. Yeah, that it doesn't actually have to be there at all. Can I tell you about another lovely book? Please do. Gravity is the Thing. It's by Jacqueline Moriarty, who is the sister of, of Leanne Moriarty. And I always feel I shouldn't say that because, because they're both wonderful writers. In fact, there's a third one also called Nicola Moriarty. Like, they're, they're just great in different ways. But Gravity is the thing is just this fabulously insane sort of a book it's about a woman um who is going for flying lessons but like they're not like flying a plane lessons they are like literally she is learning to fly by herself and it sounds nonsense and it sounds you know ridiculous but it's also incredibly earthy it's very grounded there's an awful about a lot about her relationship with her ex-husband her relationship with her son it's honestly so very very beautiful it's one of those ones. There's about 10 books I have that, that are the special ones, you know, and that I have never stopped loving. And, and that is the, the latest addition to it. So I think if people liked the other things that we've talked about, like Fabulous Nobodies and Eleanor Lipman and Laurie Graham and all of the other lovely ones, that they might like this one as well. That sounds beautiful. I love that as an idea. And I think that sometimes I get a bit grumpy about how far... I might be required to suspend my disbelief, forgetting that sometimes in a writer who uses the imaginary to explore the real and the the fantastic, that's a delight. Do you, a writer I've just discovered this year and I'm overwhelmed with love for is uh, Laurie Colwyn. Oh, I don't know it at all. Hold on. But there's something about happy all the time if I describe what happens it just sounds like nothing and it's set in Ooh, New York and lovely. I think maybe in the 70s or 80s and it's there's a real feeling of kind of interiors it's about two very good friends they're third cousins but their relationship is sort of like brothers and there's something a little bit Wes Anderson-y about that relationship oh, that maybe without oh my god I love Wes Anderson Wes Anderson would make the most amazing film of happy all the time I I might write to him Oh, God, imagine. And there's a the big, big finish. There's nothing really big about it at all. And it just sort of ends with them all having a lovely meal in a restaurant. And I remember closing the book and just feeling bereft, like I'd been mugged, like I'd lost some family, like I, I want to live in the book. I don't want to live in the world. I totally understand that feeling. Okay, I've just, I've just put it on my list here. Thank God I've a whole load of lovely things to buy now because of you. The, did you read this year, did you write, read Lily King's book, Writers and Lovers? 
Oh no, I've not read that. Oh my god, you must immediately. I will do it now. It is gorgeous. It's um, it's set in 1993, I think, in some some one of those Boston suburbs. You know, those kind of full of intellectually ones, maybe near Harvard or Yale. And it's lovely. She's she's an aspiring novelist, and she has no money, and she has two new boyfriends, and it is just so lovely and so funny and so hopeful and and all the lovely things and she has written other books one another book called euphoria won um won a prize and so i bought it but it is set in in i don't know 1910 or something like that and i just wanted to be in the boston suburb in 1993 working in a restaurant writing her novel um it's just one of those lovely books i I honestly think you'll love it just the idea that you know it's the 90s and she's broke yeah. and she yeah. is trying to make it work among a yes. sea of mad intellectuals. That's everything I like. Everything. Yes. Oh, Marion, I'm having the loveliest, loveliest time. And I want to talk to you all night, but I'm mindful of um, you have things to do. Are there any books we haven't mentioned that you'd really like to talk about? Have a look. Nisha Dolan's book. Um I'm desperate to read that oh it's so great honest to god it is so funny um I mean in one way it is agonizing about being young um and a woman and living in late stage capitalism uh but she is so wry and so funny it's it's you, I would really be surprised if you didn't love it. What else? Okay, The Weekend by Charlotte Wood. Um, she's an Australian writer. The Weekend is about three women in their 70s. Their friend has died and they go to clean out her holiday home. It's set in Australia. And, you know, you might think, oh, I don't know, I don't want to be reading books about women in their 70s. No, no, you are wrong. You do want to be reading books about women in their 70s. It's so funny and wise and and snipey and and bickery and all the good things it's it's just so incredibly convincing it's it's an absolutely brilliant brilliant book not entirely uplifting but not not uplifting either let me see girl woman other i mean if there's a person on earth who hasn't read it yet then 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 i am cross um and then for me for escapism and leaves writes her shetland books they're just it's like going on holiday to Shetland, but without the two flights and the long wait in Aberdeen. Like, <laughs> I, I would really, really recommend them. Philippa Gregory. Philippa Gregory is so funny. Um, she, I met her at an award ceremony years ago, and um, we were both up for the same prize. And um, we didn't get on, put it that way. And, and I admire her so much. I love her books. And I love the way she just, she didn't make any effort to um, flim flam me. Do you know, and uh, and 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 I won, and uh, and she sort of pretty much did a slow hand clap. Um, it was it was just it was magnificent. She was magnificent, and I love her books. In fact, there's a new one. It was published, I think, it was yesterday. Um, so both myself and my mother love her books. Okay, this is a hard. I don't know if everyone will love this, but I loved it. It's called If I Had Your Face, and it's by Francis Chu, and it's um it's set in Korea. And it's about the young women there having bone surgery to try and make themselves look more Western. It's about, it's kind of like sex in the city, but gruesome and in Korea. It's fascinating. And, and I loved it, but mightn't be, most of the books we've talked about today are actually very uplifting. It's not uplifting. 
but it's I couldn't put it down, which I am always so grateful for that when a book does that for me. You know, one of those books that says repays effort. You know, when you read that like in a review, you think, oh God, I don't know, maybe not for me. Um, oh yeah, After the Silence by Louise O'Neill. Again, so much I loved about it, but it was also like going on holidays to an island in West Cork in the summer, in the Atlantic. It was just lovely. That, that's just won a prize, I believe. Yes, it did, it did, it did. It did in the Irish Book Awards on Wednesday night. Yeah, it, it won. It won Crime Novel of the Year. But, I mean, and it is the crime novel, but it's very, it's quite gothic. Mm. Um, I'll say one more and then I'll shut up. Um, Fragile by Sarah Hillary. I, um, I just finished the proof this morning. And she writes mostly crime and I suppose in this this is sort of a crime but it's a standalone book and it is it's quite gothic and in many ways it reminded me of Barbara Vine you know that dreamy feel that kind of out of time feel you know one of the main characters in it is this house this fabulous house it, she's a really wonderful writer you know she writes about love and and falling out of love in oh god in very scalpel-y efficiency it's great that sounds fantastic marion it has been an utter utter joy and i knew it would be and i was so excited about having this conversation with you but honestly it has just made my heart so it's as good as reading you or reading eva ibbotson and um that's the the greatest compliment i can think of off the top of my head thank you and thank you for the recommendations you've given me as well i'm so grateful for them i'm off to order them now from a good local bookstore (laughs) huge thanks to marion grown-ups is now out in paperback i think it's her most sophisticated and subtle novel yet Threads are woven and broken, and there's a real sense of life at its most keenly painful and joyful. It's about love, addiction, control, and the way we all sometimes struggle to function. It's funny, warm and real, and I could not recommend it harder. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can follow us on social media at Booked, and if you've enjoyed this episode, it would make my day if you left us a five-star review. It helps new listeners to find the podcast. Find a list of all the books mentioned by Marion on acast.com slash booked. Finally, I leave you with this from Anthony Pohl. People think that because the novel's invented, it isn't true. Exactly the reverse is the case. Biography and memoir can never be wholly true since they cannot include every conceivable circumstance of what happened. The novel can do that. See you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 